Thank you, Father, for this morning that you have given us to devote to you to concentrate on, on who you are and on your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, direct our hearts and our minds to what you have to teach to us this morning from your word. I pray that you would help me um, to uh, teach and preach in, the, in, the way, in a way that would please you, in the way that is according to your will. Um, clearly and uh, with courage and uh, with compassion and with love. So, Father, I pray that you would help us today. May your Holy Spirit be with us, um, helping us understand your word and how to apply it uh, more uh, faithfully and more um, intentionally into our lives. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. So if you remember the last two Sundays, we have just to remind you, we have been looking at um, something that the uh, Bible uh, describes um, as something that is sort of as a poison, as a poison. Um, And this is the issue of bitterness. So two Sundays from now, we looked at uh, bitterness and what it is biblically and why it is a poison, uh, why it can... Uh, kill your spiritual life. Um, then last Sunday we looked at what the antidote was, what the anti-venom was. When when a, when a snake uh, goes in and bites you, she deposits all of her venom and it starts to go through your vein until it starts doing damage to your uh, organs and your nervous system. And the only thing that can stop that is an anti-venom, anti-venom or antidote. So we looked at that the Antidote for bitterness is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Um, And what we're going to take a look at today is this. Um, We do nothing. We do nothing. If bitterness is is truly a poison, and if bitterness is a poison that we have inside of us, we do nothing with knowing what the antidote is. It doesn't help us just to know what it is. We need to take it. We need to, if somebody is in the middle of the desert somewhere in Australia and he gets bit by a snake, that person has to be rushed to the hospital and be administered the injection with the anti-venom. And so what we're going to see today is what is God's way of putting that anti-venom in us against uh, bitterness. And it is the gospel, as simple as that. It is the gospel. So we're going to be looking at that today. And I want to start by saying that um, in the last two days, or in the last two Sundays, pardon me, um, I have been uh, trying to suggest to you that uh, we're all um, easily contaminated by bitterness. Uh, and even from the small place, from the smallest or the youngest uh, times in our lives, uh, even the most intimate relationships that we have, which is our families, our relationship with our parents or our relationship with our children. And that uh, so intimate, so basic of a relationship, bitterness can come up and can grow and can uh, be a great poison in our hearts. And so we talked about bitterness having been being a problem of what happens in our hearts when we can't let go when somebody sins against us. When we can't let go when somebody sins against us. And what I want to start today by bringing this up to you. Your greatest problem, 
my greatest problem is not that somebody has sinned against you. No matter how important this person is, no important how much this person was supposed to do anything but sin against you, that is still not your greatest problem. So I was reminded this week of how many people are either abandoned by their parents or they're treated by their parents in a way that just makes them fill up throughout the years with anger and resentment towards them. So that is a real thing. And we've talked about this here. And we talked about how knowing how to deal with that, this, those disappointments and that bitterness is like a practice for the entire life. Because if something is true about this world is that people will be sinning against us throughout our life. And so the family is sort of a training ground for the race that is the rest of our lives. However, the greatest problem is not that someone sinned against you or I. The greatest problem that you and I have is that we have sinned against a God who is holy. We have sinned against a God who hates sin. Who thinks that sin is something to be uh, abhorred, something to be hated. So that is our greatest problem. Now, that is the last thing that we think when somebody sins against us. When somebody sins against us, the first thing we do is think about, this was so unfair. This person has, should have not done anything to me. Or they, that person should have not done that to me. That person needs to make it right. That person needs to make it up to me. Isn't that how we feel? But that is not the greatest problem. And today, today, I want to show you why I say that. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew in chapter 7. And this is our introduction for today. I want, I want you to see this because the way that Jesus makes it, He makes it so clear. So absolutely clear that our problem is not when people sin against God, but our greatest problem is when we sin against God. And so in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saying in verse 1, He says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. These are the words of Jesus. And look, He says in verse 2, For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, in other words, how you measure other people, He says, it will be measured to you. Now in verse 3 he says, and this is what I want you to look at. In verse 3 he says, why do you look at a speck, just a small, small tiny particle of wood? Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, or the person next to you, but do not notice the log, the huge beam of wood, do not notice the log that is in your eye. So let's think about this picture. He's saying that we are quicker to look at a problem with somebody else. Much quicker, I should say. 
In fact, we are incredibly good at looking at someone else's sin. But when it comes to our sin, not so much. Even though it's much greater, or it should be much greater. What we see in somebody else, that perhaps they sinned against us, and that's why we're bitter, and we're angry at them, it's just a small speck. But, and what we should see is the giant amount of sin that is in us. And Jesus says, I mean, when you think about this, comparing a speck, a small particle with a huge beam is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that somebody would see something so small in somebody else and not see something so huge in themselves. It's ridiculous. It's hypocritical. But that's how we're all wired to be. And so maybe you haven't dealt with this reality. Maybe you have only maybe you only think about what somebody else did to you. And and why you feel justified to be angry at them and to hold that grudge against them. But the point that we want to make today is this, is that we must understand that our greatest problem is our sin against God. And so what we need is the gospel. What we need is the gospel. And not just the gospel as in, oh yeah, I, I grew up in church, I understand what the gospel is. Maybe you do understand it. And I, and I get that. You know, Most of you have been living or have grown up in church. Maybe you understand that God is creator of all things. You understand that God is holy, that He does not tolerate sin at all. And that because He created everything, He has the right to judge everything or everybody. And that you know that God will one day judge the living and the dead. You understand that. And that you also understand that man is sinful. And perhaps you even understand that you yourself are sinful, that you have sinned against God, that you have broken His laws, that you have cheated, you have lied, you have envied, all these things that you understand at an intellectual level that this is true of you. Perhaps you understand that you know that the solution to this problem so that you can escape the judgment that is coming is through Christ, that Christ died on the cross so that sinners wouldn't have to go to hell and that so that people could be forgiven of their sins and be entered and welcomed into the presence of God forever. Maybe you understand that. And also perhaps you understand the fact that to be able to access that gift of eternal life, you must repent of your sins and you must put your trust in Christ Jesus. Maybe you understand that. And that's not what concerns me today. That's not what keeps me awake. That's not what I pray about. Even though that is important. But what I am concerned today is that Perhaps some of us believe that message. Perhaps some of us understand that message, but we don't fully trust it to the point that it actually makes a difference in our lives, even in the difficult things. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because forgiving, forgiveness when somebody sins against you is a very difficult thing. And a Proof that you, tr- that you not only understand the gospel, not only that you think it's a good thing and you think, hey, you know what? If I, I'm going to give my life to a belief, it's going to be Christianity. It's not going to be anything else because I, I think it's the right thing. So that's one thing. But the, the thing that proves that you actually trust this message is that you're willing to do something that goes against your nature for the sake of that message. 
You with me? And so one example, one perfect example of that is precisely being able to forgive someone because you yourself have been first been forgiven by God. And that is the argument that Jesus makes in the parable that we've been looking at in the last two Sundays, as well as in Colossians that we have been spending our time. So maybe, maybe some of you do need to trust the gospel enough to be able to get rid of your bitterness towards someone who you have something against with. Maybe for the first time, so that you are able to do that. So that, again, you can take that antidote it's not just enough to know what the antidote is. You need to take it, and you take it through the gospel. Or maybe you are already a Christian, and you need to grow in what it means to really trust Christ, not just with a salvation that will come whenever you die, but even with your life right now. Whenever it is the things that matter most to you, because He is Lord not just of heaven over there, far in the distance. He is Lord of life right now. And so, so that we can believe that, so when you truly believe the gospel, when you truly believe the gospel, you say to yourself, man, my, my forgiveness, the forgiveness that I received from God is so true, it is so real, it is so certain that I have, I have no choice but to forgive others. That is the point of Scripture. That is the point of Scripture, and that's what, it, what we want to look at today. So I want you to, with that in mind, I want you to open your Bibles again to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, and we're going to look at chapter 3. The epistle of Paul to the Colossians in chapter 3. And we're going to be uh, paying attention to verse 12 and following. And as you go there, I, I want to make the clarification that the book of Colossians in chapter 3, he's speaking to Christians and he is explaining to Christians how they ought to grow in their spiritual life. So if you're a Christian and you know that you know that you have been forgiven of your sins and that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, then this part of Scripture is directly for you so that you know what are the things that the calling that you have as a Christian to grow. And grow in what, Luis? Grow in what? And so what Paul argues here is that we grow into becoming more and more like Christ. I want you to see that in here where um, Paul says that particularly in verse 10 where he says that we have... In verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self. That's sin, with all of its evil practices. In verse 10, he says, And have put a new self. That's the new person. The new the Christian. It says, Who is being renewed to a true knowledge. And then he says, According to the image of the one who created him. And that's Jesus Christ, my friends. So he says that Christians are being renewed every day. Every day that comes, a Christian who is growing is becoming more and more into the image of Christ. So in the same way that when we were very little, 
we, uh, we grew to, to, to have the same, to, to look like our parents more and more, to kind of believe the same things and kind of have the same attitudes, the same personality. And the more we grow, the more we look like them to where people would say, yeah, I know that that's your child. I mean, he just has the same reactions you do. He says the same stuff you do. And don't lie to me. I know that that's true for every single one of you. In the same way, the Bible says that the Christian grows into the image of Christ. He looks more and more like Christ and stops looking like the sinner that they were before they found Christ. So that is the calling of the Christian. And in the middle of that, in the midst of that commandment, Paul is saying, he is telling uh, the, um, the Colossians to not only forgive and, and give way to, uh, to forgiveness instead of bitterness. He's, he's given tons of other uh, uh, commandments here. But be, and, and in the midst of all these commandments, he gives one uh, simple reason for growing. One simple reason for growing. And he just says it in a lot of different ways, but it's one simple reason. It's, you are to grow because you have been saved. And if you have been saved, you are now one with Christ. As simple as that. You are one. Like Christ and you, Christ has united himself with you. He lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And he says, because of that, you need to grow. I can think of the illustration that Psalm 1 says that a tree that is firmly planted besides waters, fresh waters, will do what? Will grow and will, grow, will give much fruit so that even if the drought comes, that river is, is feeding that, that tree, and that tree is growing and giving fruit. In the same way, no matter what the situation is in life, if somebody has sinned against you or if life has dealt you a hand that you would have preferred it wouldn't have happened, if your if you're, if illness comes, knocks on the door or affliction or suffering or disappointment or whatever the case may be, if you are connected to Christ, if you are abiding in Him, then you will grow. So that is the idea here that, that Paul is doing. And so he gives... The motive for forgiving is very absolutely clear. And you see it in verse 13. He says that we ought to, uh, if perhaps we start on verse 12, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. He's describing a Christian with those three words. Chosen of God, holy and beloved. And then he's saying, because, because a Christian has been chosen by God, he's been whole, made holy, in other words, set apart for God, and he's beloved, he's been recipient of God's love, then he says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Remember last time we were talking about how bitterness was exactly the opposite of those things. Bitterness was lack of forgiveness, it was uh, anger, it was wrath, it was uh, yelling, it was gossiping, it was slandering the person, all of those things. Using words to destroy, words to hurt. But he's saying, no, don't do that. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And on verse 13 he says, 
bearing with one another. In other translations it says putting up with one another. Just put, it, put up with people. Put up with other people. And then he says, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So every time you have a complaint against anyone, if you're a Christian, Paul says, forgive them. It says, whoever. I don't see here a... I don't see here an exception. I don't see here an exception. Well, Paul, you just haven't seen my dad. If you knew what he's done, you would... Or you, you should see what my mom did. Or you, you should have seen what my husband did. He doesn't say. He says, whoever has a complaint against you, forgive them. Forgive them. It sounds easy, but it's not. But the point here that we're interested in today is the reason that Paul gives. He says, just as the Lord forgave you. So let me ask you this. Is that true to you? Is that true for you? Have you complete confidence that your sins have been forgiven? In other words, have you no weight on your shoulders of a guilty conscience? Do you, with it, with it, without a shadow of a doubt, have the confidence that God has taken the weight of the guilty conscience from your back and removed it and thrown it away? Is that true for you? Because that's what Paul is saying. He says, just as God forgave you, so also should you. So the idea is that the forgiveness, the vertical forgiveness has to happen first before the horizontal forgiveness. In other words, the one another. So first, God has to forgive. And if you remember last time, we said that forgiveness was the canceling of a debt. You had a debt with God because you broke His laws. And then in Christ, because Christ paid the debt on the cross, He crossed it out. If it was, if it was in today's age, you would have said he grabbed all those files and deleted them. Or he grabbed the hard drive and completely wiped it out. Completely wiped out. In that time, what they used, they used a piece of paper where you would say, yes, I owe this, I owe this, and all this amount. And I owe this amount to this person, I owe this amount to this other person. That's, what, that's how they did it. Let me show you how. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2. There Paul explains the following. He says, um, he says, um, he said, let's start with, um, yeah, let's start in verse 13. He says, but when, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's just a reference to two ways to describe a sinful condition. He says, when you were in that sinful condition, um, verse 13 again, he says, He made you alive together with Him. There's that union with Christ. And then he says, having forgiven us all our transgressions. 
And then he says this in verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The picture that Paul is making is that your sins, God sees them in a piece of paper, and they're all written down, every single one of them. Think about this. It's not just things that you said, but things that you thought. It's not just things that you said, or you thought, or you did, but it's also things that you failed to do. Things that you shouldn't have done that you neglected. All of those things are recorded for the sinner. All of them, in minute detail. God does not for, for, he doesn't neglect to record anything. And it's all in this certificate of debt. Look at what he says. He says that there are decrees against us. Against us, why? Because there are decrees, there are uh, decisions that God has made that are against us. Why? Because they, they are looking at condemnation. They're looking at hell. However, he says, and, and no wonder, because he says that this certificate was hostile to us. Hostile. Like this, this created an, an enmity with God. This creates an enmity with God. God separ sin separates from God. Because of sin, the wrath of God is burning. It's burning. So he says it's hostile to us. But then he says, in Christ, in Christ, when you and I, if you are in Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God did what? He took it out of the way. He took that certificate. That certificate was between you and God, and he took it out of the way. He snatched it. And what did he do with it? He says, he took it out of the way and he canceled it out. Canceled it. He took that, all those things, and just crossed them off. He says, all of this has been paid for. You didn't pay for it. I didn't pay for it. But Jesus paid for it. He was the payment. His death was the payment so that your sins could be wiped out from your record. You know, it's like, you know... Um, when you're, when you're driving and, and you, you commit an infraction, you, you know, they, and the, the cops catch you, you know, then that goes in your record. They stop you and they give you a ticket, that goes in your record. And they say, well, okay, yes, but if you go take a class, then we'll wipe it out from your record. And that's kind of an illustration. At some point, though, if you do that too much, then the DMV will not strike it out of your record. It'll stay there until the point that they take your license away and if you keep insisting, that will put you in jail. However, with God, it doesn't work that way. Because He did it to His Son. And the way that we can get our sins completely canceled out is through having faith in Him. And one way that we can show that we truly believe that is that we are capable of forgiving others. Do you see that? That is just one way. And maybe this is where you're at today. That you need to show your faith by forgiving uh, that person that has hurt you deeply. I've, great, I've heard great, great uh, testimonies about this. If you're ever interested, ask Pastor Roberto. Great testimony of how the Lord, through the gospel, changed his heart. 
and was able to forgive deep, deep, deep hurts with his father. Amazing. Amazing. And this can be true for anybody. Remember, you had nothing to give. You have nothing to pay. That's why, that's why the gospel is so amazing because it had to be Christ who had to get on the cross to forgive, to pay for those for the sins because you, you could n not do anything. Why? Because all you can bring to the table, all you can bring to the table is your sin. But Christ came to the table with something different. He had no sins to bring to the table. He had his perfection, his righteousness. Him who knew no, he made him, or God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Christ brought His righteousness, His perfection, the fact that He never sinned, and He brought it to the table. And He said, Father, I will pay for those sins. I, pay, I will pay for the sins of each one of us. And I, will, and I will give in return, not condemnation, but I will give in return my righteousness. And so in Him... We are before God and we're perfect. There's no debt. We're completely free from all debt. In other words, we have been forgiven. Completely. Every single sin that you have committed, you have to see it hung on the cross and nailed to the cross. Every single one of them. And if you haven't, what else? What, is, what, what, most, what more important for you to do than to put your trust in the fact that your sins can be put on the cross? Never to be taken into account again, ever. Separated from you like the East is from the West. Completely washed out from them. Completely washed out to the point that you would be white as snow. What more precious promise can be given to an unworthy sinner who has done nothing but to break God's law from the time that they were born? It's amazing. And that shows us the mercy of God. And so if you remember the parable of the wicked servant that we saw last time in Matthew 18, that wicked servant, when, his, when he refused to pay, to, um, to forgive the debt to the person that, that owed him uh, only a few denarii, if you remember, uh, the Lord told him, the, the Lord told him, shouldn't you have also mercy with your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy with you? And that is the only thing that God gives us if we come to him humbly. He gives us mercy. He understands that because of our sin, we're in a miserable condition. He understands that. And he's willing to extend full pardon, full forgiveness for sinners who are dead set against them and now and now when a person puts their full trust then they are able to do things that are amazing that are empowered by the holy spirit and that's what a christian is able to do it's a power like there's absolutely nothing like it it is the power of god at work in the christian it's not the power of my own strength it's not the power of psychology it's not the power of self-help books. It is the power of God at work in the Christian. Why? Because that Christian has been now being given a part of the righteousness of God. Pardon me, the full righteousness of God. So that person has a different nature now. 
So if you see, if you see the cross, if you see that certificate, that paper with all your sins nailed on that cross, that should, my friends, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, but that should humble you. That should humble you. And I want to read a beautiful parable to you that will illustrate that. Because the only way that we can be rid of the venom of bitterness is if we are humbled by the gospel. I cannot say that uh, clearly enough to my heart and to yours. So I want you to see the effect that forgiveness ought to have in a heart that is soft, that is humble, and the effect that it has in a heart who is hard, that doesn't care. So I want to show you that. Open your Bibles in Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read this. It's going to be a long portion, but I think it'll be worth it. Um, and so it says here, Luke chapter 7, in verse 36. This is an episode in Jesus' life. And he says, <clears throat> he says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to have lunch with him, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There's nothing new about this. That's how they did it. The tables at the time were pretty low, so they had to kind of sit kind of at an angle to all sit at the table. <clears throat> and there was a woman in the, center, in the city who was a sinner. She was an immoral woman. Doesn't say anything uh, more specific, but it's enough to know that she was an immoral woman. And he says that when she learned, verse 37, that, she, that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. In other words, a, a, a big um, sort of like glass um, container with perfume. Very expensive. Verse 38, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, referring to Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him, that she is an immoral person. Verse 40, Jesus looks at this and he answered him. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, say it, teacher. Let me have it. Verse 41, a money, and he tells him a parable. I want you to pay attention to the parable. Verse 41, a money lender had two debtors, two people that owed him. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So 100, sorry, one was 500, the other one was 50. Don't miss that. Verse 42, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time that I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, 
which was something that a host would normally do back then, because it made people feel better, refreshed their, their head. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet, a very shameful part of the body at that time. She anointed my feet with what? With the perfume. And in verse 47, he says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. So he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And then he says, what, you wonder what happened with the Pharisees? It says, verse 49, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to see here that when we don't, when we hear the gospel and we are not humbled by it, when we see the cross of Christ, when we see him and we're not humbled, it's because we don't think our debt was that much. And I know that that changes every day. Some days we are very aware of our sin. Some days we're not. But the point is that when we don't, when we're not humbled by the gospel, it's because we don't make much of our sin. We don't think it's that bad. Just kind of like those Pharisees. The lady, though, she, she saw it. She saw it. The Pharisees, not all that much. In fact, they were worried, like, who is this? Why is he forgiving sins? They were blinded. They could not see the beauty of Christ and the power that he had to forgive them because they were not interested in it. And I would submit that many of our apathy in our heart towards the things of God comes from that. That we just don't think our sin is bad enough. And I would call you. Search your heart if that's you. Because if that's you, you need to repent from that. And you need to humble yourself so that, so that you are able to forgive. And so in Colossians 3, and let me take you again there, and this is where we'll, we'll end today. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives a lot of different reasons for why we should abandon uh, bitterness in our life. And the first thing that I want to say to you in verses 7 and 8, he says, In them, in these attitudes, you once also walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. In other words, he's saying, look, if you're a Christian, that belongs to your previous life. You know, it's like when somebody emigrates to the United States and they decide, you know what, I'm, my kids are only going to speak English because now we're in the United States. And that's an illustration. I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with that. I don't care about that right now. But I am saying that there is a change. There is a change. Now I'm not part of the thing before. Now I'm, I'm, I live, I have a different citizenship, a new citizenship. All right? And so that is what he's saying. Those things do not belong to your new life, to your new person. They belong to the old person. So that's one reason that Paul gives. Another thing, in verse 10, 
he says, and have put the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The truth behind this statement is that if you are truly united to Christ, like we talked about earlier, then you will grow and that you will become more and more like Christ. It's a rule. It needs to happen. And that's what Paul is saying. Because, it is, because it is, that's true, then you need to be putting off bitterness in your life. Another reason that Paul gives, and he, Paul gives, I won't take you there, but he gives it in Ephesians 4, where he also speaks about this issue of bitterness, is the fact that the bitterness, um, the word in, in English is, um, it, it, uh, it, it quenches the Holy Spirit in you. It quenches it. Um, the word in Spanish is lo contrista, which means it somehow uh, grieves the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and when you talk in that sin in your heart, what that does, according to Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 4.30, it says that do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So talking those sins in your heart actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And what happens when it does, then you lose your communion with God. You miss miss. The, the sweetness of being uh, in, in fellowship with your Creator through Christ. So that is another reason. Um, and, and so Paul also says, um, as I mentioned it earlier, that you know a Christian has a new identity. It says here in verse 12 that a Christian is a chosen, is a person who has been chosen by God. It's a person who has been se- separated by God or taken up a set apart. It's a person that has been set by God to be special for him, for his purposes. So this is a brand new identity. And, 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 and what Paul is saying here is that, um, you know, we need to act and live according to that. And that's why he says, and that we also have been beloved by God. The idea there is that if we have been beloved by God, how come we are unwilling to love a person who sinned against us by forgiving them? So, man, this, is, this passage is such a heart check for the Christian. And it says, if you're unwilling to do this, then really um, check your heart to see if you are really what you say you are. And also, if you're not a Christian, it shows you just how impossible it is to do these things. You know why? Because they don't come from you. They come from God. God is the one who has to come in and change your heart and make it new. And the only question that there is to ask is, has your heart been made new? That is the question to ask. Now, if you are a Christian, and with this I'll finish, if you are a Christian, then uh, this is how I believe that you can fight that venom and how you can put on the gospel, how you can take that gospel in. In other words, inject that anti-venom and that anti or antidote in your life. So I want you to turn finally, and we'll finish with this, in 2 Corinthians. This is beautiful. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And when we started this two weeks ago, we talked about how bitterness starts in the mind. When you keep an account, when you keep a record of the wrongs that have been done against you. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. You keep a record, so you remember those things in your mind. So it starts in the mind. And so 
precisely Paul recognizes this battle that there is going on in our minds. And he says, look, thoughts that go against the truth of the gospel need to be captured and need to be dominated and then changed for thoughts that do agree with the word of God. Let me read this to you. He says this. He's talking about bad doctrines, but this applies to everything. Everything that is not true according to God's word. And see, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And he says, and we are taking every, what? Thought, captive, to the obedience of Christ. So imagine, he's saying that each thought is kind of like a, a soldier in a battle. And we need to sort of go in and capture that to the obedience of Christ. To put, to put those thoughts under the obedience of Christ. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So if you're a Christian, what that means is that when you start remembering the sins that perhaps uh, you feel like somebody did against you, you remind yourself, um, I am loved by God. And because I am loved by God, I have a privilege that is unparalleled in the entire planet, that I am loved by the Creator. And therefore, I need to love that person and treat them as if they had not sinned against me. Another thing you remind yourself, like we talked about, I have, been, I have received thy forgiveness. My sins are now in the cross of Christ and not on my cross. The paper that is on my cross is empty. All my sins were nailed to the cross of Christ. You need to remember that. Because if God canceled your debt, then so should you cancel the debt of the person that sinned against you. And so that is how you take a thought of bitterness and you bring it and you make it captive to the obedience of Christ. Another thing you say, as a Christian, you say, and I love, I love to be in communion with my God. And I know that if I harbor this resentment for that person, that's going to affect my, I'm, I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit that is in me. And you know what? That I don't want to do. So I would rather let this thing go so that I don't hurt my relationship with my God. That's how you bring that thought to captivity. And so reminding yourself of all these beautiful gospel truths, that is how not only you get rid of bitterness, but that's how you get rid of any sin. And that's how you grow as a Christian. That's how you put all these attitudes that are, that are evil, that are sinful, and you put on uh, godly characteristics. That's how you grow into the image of Christ. Last time I was, I was reminding you that when we're made by God, we are like a painting that has been damaged. Has been damaged because of sin. And when we're saved by faith, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then God is objectively repairing that painting. Repairing that portrait that shows what? It shows the image of God in it. And so, uh, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. And 
if you have not, and that's how we can be reconciled to another person, no matter what they did, even as impossible as it sounds. And I know, and I know that there are situations that seem impossible. I've heard uh, stories, I've lived through things, I know that there are situations where you say, but how, how, tell me how exactly I can forgive that person. How? It's impossible. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how it is possible. It's because the power of the gospel is beyond anything that we can even think or imagine. That is the answer. The, the gospel is powerful. And if you do not have the gospel in your heart, if it's not true in your heart, if it's not inside your bones, then you're going to be in danger of being an easy prey to the venom of unforgiveness and unbitterness for the rest of your life. And I don't want that for you. So my prayer for you today is that you would take that gospel and you would say, today is the day that I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to believe it so seriously that I'm going to forgive that person for what they did to me. Remembering that my biggest problem is not what somebody did to me, but my, my biggest problem is that I sinned against the Holy God, and that Holy God offers me salvation free in Christ Jesus to wipe out all my debt, all my transgressions, and give me a slate completely clean, and then unite me to Christ and form me into His image until He returns and we'll be with Him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for the power of your gospel. I pray if someone here today, Lord, needs to believe in the power of the gospel to the point of doing, of, of forgiving someone who it seems impossible to do, I pray that you would do that, Lord, that you would give them the conviction that the power is, that the gospel is powerful to do that and more, to overcome not just bitterness and unforgiveness, but to overcome any other sin whatsoever, Lord. And I thank you, Father, and I pray that for those of us who have trusted you, I pray that we would grow tremendously because as, as, a, as a good pastor says, we are never more like God than when we forgive and we're never more like Satan when we hold a grudge and we have bitterness. So, Father, I pray that we would be a people in this church that are characterized for having mercy towards those who sin against us and who are humbled by the fact that we have been forgiven so much more and that Christ paid the price for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.